Podcast world, what's up? Chad Belding, another episode coming at you. The Foul Life. Thank you all so much for the support. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our friends down in Georgia. Friends, family outdoors, real tree brand camouflage the new timber pattern we wore it all duck season arkansas mississippi delta texas trees it blends in we've actually put a few gobblers on the ground this spring already with the timber pattern and don't forget to check out the new wave the blue pattern the fishing pattern if you're out on the boat and you don't you want to stay hidden from sunburn say stay hidden from the rays wear what our guest today justin martin is wearing he knows how to uh run a fishing rod he knows how to run a 28 gauge he knows how to run a trout line i'm pretty sure this dude knows how to live off the land justin martin duck commander companies welcome my brother what's going on chad how are y'all out there uh in nevada dealing with the quarantine man man it's it's a uh... It's, it seems like a lot of conversation is wrapped around it, and I'm trying to stay original with my deliveries when I'm asked the question. I am, I, I really think that I have a different answer, Justin, and it might be different than yours, but I, I don't hate it. I don't hate the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm able to stay a little bit isolated. It's kind of how I am in the fall. And being with my daughter and, and, and the quality time that it's allowed us, it really has given me more of that. And on top of that, it's really given me the um the the blessed you know feeling more and more blessed of the life that we do get to live when things are normal and the friends we have and the family and just little things like going down the road and watching you know chase that you just said hello to play a little league game that's all been taken away from us so it's really given me good enlightenment through it so i'm trying to make it more of a learning process stay optimistic and what about y'all down there in louisiana though oh amen man i for you know as hunters i think a lot of times we're naturally introverts anyway like we don't we don't depend on crowds to to get our pleasure and we don't feel the need to have to do that kind of stuff so you tell me like i'm basically getting a little vacation here during the springtime which is generally when we're working our tails off building calls and doing all that stuff but now i can go fishing like every day I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm in on that. Like yeah, that's, that's a good thing. And all, you know, all Willie requires is like 10%. He's like, I don't want any more than the church. So go give him 10% of your take. You can miss a little work. You can, uh, you know, but I, I do, I think what it's taught me is to be more intentional with my time with my loved ones. Uh, so just like you, I, I am using it as a learning experience, trying to figure out, especially when you're running a company uh, like we are down here, you you see the effect it has on your employees, not necessarily here because we've been fortunate enough to stay open throughout the deal. Uh, we're open, but we're not open to the public. So we're just doing day-to-day stuff. We're working maybe three or four hours a day, if I'm being honest, uh, not building any calls whatsoever, but we're getting caught up on marketing assets and we're doing videos, how-tos, just a little one-off stuff to, to fill out our YouTube stuff and our digital presence. But you get these relationships with your employees that otherwise, if you're moving at a fast pace and moving around that you, that you would have missed. And you, you mm-hmm. know, that's, to me, it's a cool deal. It's, it, it's unfortunate for a lot of reasons and for a lot of things, but to teach us to be better humans, better friends, better bosses, just better people. I, I think if you look at it from that regard, then it, it has truly been a positive. 
Yeah, I agree. It's just, it, it slowed things down, pumped the brakes a little bit. And I haven't, and the reason I started off my response to your question of like, you know, my answer is sometimes different because a lot of people just come right out and they just, they go right into the negative of it. And I, I just, I refuse to do that, Justin, because there's truly nothing you or I or anybody can do at this point. It's, it's about following our leadership, believing in our scientists and our doctors and knowing that, you know, that every, in my opinion, I think everything happens for a reason. And I think that this is a, a time for us to do exactly what you did pump in what you said is pump the brakes. And last week, you know, I had an employee in here editing and stuff. And I, I, I heard, I, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I had heard him on a phone call with his wife who I know. And he had mentioned that they were, you know, that they needed to find some things that they needed at the house. And I said to myself, I'm just going to make it happen for him before he leaves here. So I had it way waiting for him when he left. And if I was in my re regular rigmarole and just going hard all day, I probably wouldn't have taken the time to, e or I wouldn't have even heard what he said, you know? So I wouldn't have been able to react the way that you're saying that you're reacting to employees in a different way and friends in a different way. And man, I'm telling you, man, I just, I, I value so much the ability to just watch a baseball game or a football game or, or, or a dinner with some buddies. And my mom is, you know, my mom's in her mid sixties and we're even staying away from her house because they, you know, of anything that could be brought into that. So everything's been changed. It's going to bring us back better. It's going to bring us back. I think better leaders, better listeners, better lovers, better, you know, nurturers. And, and my daughter and I are, I mean, we, we had two neighbors stop they were driving up the road yesterday. They didn't roll down their window or nothing. They just stopped. We're out there doing jumping jacks and sit-ups in the driveway, you know, doing little PE segments for her schooling, right? So it's just <laughs> that the ability to do that now is is it's special to me. But I do also have that side of of there are families out there that have lost jobs and that they've lost loved ones. And we just lost John Prine and we lost Joe Diffie last week. And, and that, that, you know, celebrities are no different than anybody else passing away from COVID, but they do put it into perspective because it's so well known that, Hey, this is really taking people from our communities that are dying from this, you know? And so it's, it, I think that it's our, our responsibility to follow the leadership of what, what our president and what his administration is saying to do and just follow that with the rules. And if it's, if there's no end in sight right now, let's just stay optimistic that maybe by the time this, that we get closer to the end of April, that we're going to be back to normal sometime in May. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Amen. I, I, I feel the same way. I think it's, uh, you know, we've always been unapologetic about who we are and, and our, uh, stance and faith. And, and like you, I believe it all happens for a reason. Uh, I, I don't believe in anything's a coincidence. Um, what that reason is, I we won't know for years to come what the actual reason is or to put our spin on it. Um, I do love the fact that our rat race has slowed down for right now because we're getting ready to celebrate, in my mind, the greatest day of the year, uh, the their greatest three days, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the fact that we're all tied in together as a family and can sit at home and really take in what that means for all of us is is nothing short of awesome and i think we'll look back on this as potentially one of the greatest easters ever uh to to just really be in there with your family and man i i'm i'm looking forward to to celebrating all weekend man because yeah and i, I think that i think you're right justin i think that is, we're gonna look back on this and go you know what my 
my daughter looks at me in a different way now. Your kids are going to your wife and your and 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 everybody that's in your family during this time is we're going to look back at this and go, man, we we need to slow down and 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 get and have a few more days like it was during the quarantine. You know, it's probably yeah. going to be something that we earn that we start to yearn for later on down the road. Like, man, I, I want three or four days just with Alyssa locked in a house to hang out and and catch up and do. I mean, she's sitting on the countertop watching me reverse sear. A, a, we have an outdoor countertop here in a cooking space and she's watching me reverse sear a deer steak and I'm teaching her about temperatures of grills and how to get the internal temperature right and she's nine years old and she's and then I hear her bragging to her friends like yeah we cooked this deer steak and we did this and when it was served it had these black lines on it from the grill and all this so just that stuff in, in my daily pace I'm not saying that I don't take the time to do some of it but not nearly the amount I've been doing and really paying attention to those small details and I think it's going to turn out for the better once we all come out of this. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for society to get back to not really the norm that we once knew because it is going to be a new normal, but I am ready to see people be able to open their restaurants again and get back to their livelihood. Cause I don't like seeing our, our community stressed out and worried. Like, are we going to ever get to open our places again? I drove, I drove by a couple this morning. I had to go, I had to take my daughter down to see her mom. And I looked at the restaurants and I'm like, Every single one of these would be open on a regular on a regular Thursday. So that part of it, I'm I'm excited for those folks to get back to to making an income. But I bet when they come back, they're going to realize that all of this happened for a reason too, and their businesses are going to be better off. Yep, I, I agree. And you know the the cool thing is, uh, man, if you look at it, what are we? We're in April now. We're like five months till the blue wings start heading back this way. So, oh, you know, know, we got, so, we got as duck hunters, like this couldn't have happened at a better time for us. Now no. for Turkey, for Turkey hunters, they're kind of like singing the blues cause they sitting at the house and doing their own thing. And, you know, they ain't getting to travel as much. So the turkeys are, are, you know, like, man, I, I don't know about this. There's people hunting every day. They're probably the turkeys and the fish want this thing to be over with worse than any human. Cause yeah. they're like, oh, we're, we're tired of this. Like yeah. we ain't never had this much stress, you know, but you're right, man. The, the effect it's had on communities, it, we're all going to come out of this better. If we set our mind to come out of it better, if we set our mind to be negative, then it's going to be negative and we'll live in a mire, but you know, um, we're doing everything we can as far as what the government says to still run a viable business, but fall within the guidelines of what they're asking us to do. And what's going, what's going to hurt us, not hurt us, but in the long run, like if it does end and we're back to somewhat of normal in May or June, whenever that is, we generally spend this time building our calls, just like, you know, you guys would do. We're going to be working seven days a week here uh to get caught up on all of that so it's gonna be it's <laughs> once that happens we're gonna for sure earn our paycheck uh after this deal is over because we got a lot of duck calls to build for the fall so um but i'm ready for it i'm ready to be back in that chair grinding away and just sit there making stuff people hunt with so what give me an idea though real quick when when you're when you are in a normal day at dc and duck commander and you guys you guys i think 1972 was the year phil founded the company I posted a picture. Did you see a picture I posted? I don't know if you follow a lot of the stuff that, that we do, but I posted this picture right here. I want to show it to you just so you have an idea. Of oh, the I'm... Copenhagen? Yeah. Did you see it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Was that not that. cool? Yeah. So, that's, 
That's a true statement too. Yeah, isn't it? Back in the, <laughs> I mean that 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 was it. That was in Benny Prince's cabin right there yeah. at, his, at his place in Texas. And um, what is the culture like? And I want um, we are going to get into a little bit of, of what you've experienced in the last probably seven or eight years of your life and the whirlwind and roller coaster that's been. But what is the culture of Duck Commander? Um, because we used to see it a lot more in the public eye as far as Duck Dynasty was more prevalent at one time. You know, you guys had so much success with that. And before that, you had Benelli's Duck Commander on the Outdoor Channel. And then before that, before the transition, and I'm not saying that y'all don't sell DVDs, do, but I would assume that the sales are nowhere near what they were earlier in the 2000s and late 90s, just because of the way people get content now and readily available. But there was a time where, you know, the DVDs uh, were like the mainstay of Duck Hunt and outdoorsman's content has the culture changed as you guys transition with the new way of getting people the word of duck commander products and content or are the values still 100 the exact same of of what phil and, and willie and the robertson family put forth and what you continue to build with the company yeah i mean so now i'm the general manager of the company a lot of people out there don't don't necessarily know that so I don't spend near as much time in the call shop as I did. I, I run all the day-to-day stuff and I go on a lot of our sales calls and, you know, all the stuff that it takes to get our product to the consumer. So uh, I handle a lot of that, but the culture here is nothing's changed. We're going to keep God first. We're going to keep loving each other second. And then we're going to worry about ducks last out of that list right there. So uh, we still build, assemble all that stuff right here in West Monroe. Um, that hasn't changed. And, as far as media goes, we don't do any DVD production anymore. Uh, we, you know, we were Walmart's number one for however many years of um, selling DVDs. But you're exactly right. In today's media, people are looking for the outlets of podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. So we still film all of our hunts. And we try to, at the end of each week, put out a video from that week. Uh, the best of the best. We don't have to find any filler just to keep people in tune of what's going on in Louisiana duck hunt, pretty much. Uh, the biggest thing that's changed here is Phil has gotten so stubborn, he doesn't want to leave his house. So we don't travel to duck hunt near, hardly ever, to be honest. Uh, we just, we don't do it anymore. And, and I can respect that. Look, if I get to 74 and I've built this company from nothing to where it got to, to where it is now, and I've got all the toys and stuff at my disposal two minutes from my front door, you're probably going to get me hard to leave my front door too. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's cool to see, man. It's, uh, Jay still travels a little bit, but, uh, he'll go to Kansas a couple of times a year generally with his buddy Barrett. And, um, but we all stay pretty local now. We just, there's a little badge of honor in our minds too, of being able to kill them here when, you know, if you listen to everybody out there, doom and gloom and duck hunting in Louisiana. And then, and I'll say this from when I started duck hunting here is not, near what it used to be but if you're smart you put in the time put in the work you can still kill them pretty good right here in louisiana so uh it's just fun to trick them because you know that everybody else from canada all the way down has had a chance at them so we're getting the survivors so when you get down here and you can still whack them you're like okay so i know what i'm doing now two years ago i questioned if i even knew how to kill a duck it was just awful you know, it's like, well, whatever. Hey, I don't know what happened to them, but they gone. They ain't here. So uh, I started crappy fishing. I was like, nah, y'all don't have that. I'm tired of going, putting in all these miles on my truck, my boat, and everything else. And for six mallards, you know, I'd see six and kill three of them. I'm like, nah, I'm out on that. So, uh, you know, it just, 
it is what it is, but, uh, you know, we're still rocking and rolling. Uh, the dynasty years were cool, uh, for sure. Uh, let us do a lot of cool stuff for a long time. And, and still to this day, it lets us do what I think probably if you ask everybody individually, what they're the most passionate about is getting out, traveling around and speaking and telling people what, what good come from the dynasty, what the Lord has blessed us with. It, it lets us have that platform still to this day. And man, that's, it's so fun to do. And, and we're glad to still be able to do that and glad to work for a company that, that doesn't not only allows us to do it, but encourages us to hit the road and, and share our story and, you know, try to grow. And, it, you know, as far as Duck Dynasty go, there was some things on there that were probably not exactly the way things happen in Monroe. And I'm sure that the the further it went on, it probably became more of a of a creative deal to where you had to get creative because you, you, you can't just you can't just stay, um, you know, the direction that you were going. But one thing was for sure that I got out of Duck Dynasty is that. Um, and I had heard it several times from people because you guys w- became so massive that it was way larger than a duck hunting audience watching the Louisiana West Monroe clan of duck commander. Right. Um, oh, 100%. but the parts about the gators and the fishing and the squirrels and the ducks and, and where I'm going with this, Martin is the living off the land and the way that Phil has been since he came up and played football at Louisiana tech and, and, and the first videos that he did duck commander one, when he did it with Warren Coco and they talked about Bradshaw that if, but the people that were watching duck dynasty, that were the new audience that really maybe never duck hunted in their lives. And they got so engulfed in what you guys were doing they were even questioning like there's no way these guys are cracking heads like that and eating these fish and 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 cleaning all of these gator meat and all this stuff this is 100 the way you guys eat you guys you guys literally live off the land and that's been the that's been like duck the duck commander way ever since i knew started knowing phil and jace back in the early 90s so is it is it give me a, a an idea of what you would tell somebody of like yeah we do kill but we do it because this is what we feed our families with and it's there was nothing fake about that part of it yeah you're exactly right i mean even to this day phil has you know arguably made more money than he's going to be able to spend the rest of his time on this earth and you can go down to his house right now and he's got his hoop nets hung out in the yard cleaning them out because he's been running hoop nets on the river for the past two weeks because this is when the flathead catfish run and he loves eating flathead catfish so you know, it's, I mean, he could, he could go buy the finest steak. You won't have it shipped to his door, but at the end of the day, he's, he's still a river rat out there running down the river, catching flatheads. And the other day he called me, he said, boy, you ain't going to believe the piece of styrofoam I found. So he goes down and just rides a river looking for when styrofoam breaks off from other people's floating boat docks and stuff on the river. Well, he takes it and puts it under duck blinds. So, you know, I mean, he could buy any of this he wanted to, but that river rat, that heart, that outdoors, it never leaves you no matter what you do. Uh, you can take them, do whatever you want to, but that still exists in each and every one of us. Like the, the fin commander, the reason we did that deal is because it's a natural extension of what we do. If it's not duck season, then, then we are fishing. That's just, 
that's what we like to do. And we're better at fishing than we are at golf. And we love golf, but we just never could figure out a way to make a dollar at it, you know? Yeah. So it's like other than, you know, trying to hustle the golf courses, but all those guys are better than us. So that don't work either. But, yeah. uh, but we love hitting the little white ball around and, you know, we still do all that stuff. Like Cy, one thing people don't know about him, his favorite pastime is poker. He loves playing poker and he loves playing dominoes. He's not any good at either one of them, but he loves it. And it is so much fun to do because he's, he's like a kid every time. If he gets double fives and dominoes, he, I mean, you can see his face light up. I'm like, oh, well, I know what you're leading with. Give me those 10 points. You know, so. Isn't Jace, just, real, isn't Jace really into poker too, or at one time he was, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Jace took it took size obsession and just in typical Jace fashion got better than side just so he could beat his uncle. Like, you know, I'm like, well, that's real sporty. You're picking on a 71 year old man. Good for you. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> what in layman's terms, explain to the audience what a hoop net is and how it works for running a river for flathead. Okay. So hoop net is depending on how much money you want to spend on a net. It can be anywhere from six to 10 foot long. And it's got, funnels on each end of it and the way a lot of people hang bait in them to catch fish so you'll hang old fish heads or stinking cheese or stuff like that phil doesn't do it that way because he has lived on that river for 45 50 years now so he understands the natural migrations those fish make on that river and he'll just go put his in their highway he's like oh i know these flatheads run up this sandy bank when they're going to spawn so he'll set his net out in 10 foot of water just around nothing tied off to a tree up on the bank and the beauty is in setting it because you have to set it with a current so that the current keeps your net wide open if you don't have your net wide open the fish can bump into it swim around it this that and the other but it just they swim in one end and they're not smart enough if they were smart enough they could turn around and swim back out but you know his brain is what that big i mean yeah. it ain't much there so uh they just swim in there you go check them pull them up fill or keep whichever one he wants and throws the rest of them back but you know during the early duck commander days phil was commercial fishing so he could buy the wood for the duck calls so he could buy the reed material for the duck calls the commercial fishing straight supported the duck call business and got it ultimately to where it is without buffalo blue cat gar cart duck commander wouldn't be anything so it, it's kind of funny how all of nature provided for duck commander to even come into existence do you ever being who you are justin and being around phil which is a lot of pe people would die just to be able to do that one day to be able to watch phil in his natural environment when you're watching phil robertson and i want to talk a, a lot about you but one question that i think about is when you're Justin martin and you're standing there watching phil robertson in his natural environment do his eyes light up with that flathead like size do with that pair of fives in the dominoes game like because i could just see phil just like a kid in a candy store on christmas Christmas morning being like 74 years old. I've lived on this river for 50 years. I, I will come down here in a pair of camouflage real tree pants with no shoes on and check this net, pull a flathead out of here, cut its head off and get the, and get the bites ready for the batter and put it in the grease. So me and Miss K can enjoy a good fish meal. And I could just see him being like, that's all I need in life. Yeah. He's the only thing that makes his eyes light up more than a 10 or 12 pound flathead is about 20 mallard drakes down in a decoy. Uh, Cause he loves, I mean, if he catches a big flathead, like a 50 pounder, he just turns it loose. He said, that thing ain't no good for nothing. You know, he's, he's, he's the 10 to 15 pound is the range that he wants. Cause he's like plenty of meat, 
easy to clean and ain't got that strong taste. You know, you know Phil as well as I do. He got an opinion about everything. It oh, don't yeah. mean that it's right, but he got an opinion about it. Yeah. Um, so he when but when he see him holding that thing up like this, he's like, Oh, that's him. That's him. And he'll pat him on the belly every time. He's like, That's the one. That's the one. You know, <laughs> and then if it's over twenty, he's like, Not too big. Throws it back in the river and you know, it's funny. How often to do see you have him. to check? Is it legal? Is there a certain time period that you have to check the nets? Like in like a trap line out here, you have to check your traps every 24 hours, right? So is it same yeah. with the nets in the river? Same way with hoop nets. Uh, and plus, you want to do that too because if something else gets in there accidentally, uh, like a turtle, big, big uh, alligator snapping up. turtle, well, he'll tear your net, but he'll also die because we got him set underwater and he can't get to the water. So uh, during when the water's cool, he can live for 24 hours. When it heats up, we set him a little higher in the water so he can at least come stick his head out and get a breath of air. So we're not killing a bunch of turtles or, you know, we're just trying to respect all of nature. We're not we're not here to to pillage or anything. We we want them. We realize it takes all of them to survive. The only thing we're rough on is cottonmouths. So. Uh, and there's well, I was more get, of them than there are of us. So. I was going to get into that. But before I get into the cotton mouth, give me the absolute best way to cook a flathead. Is it fried every time? Is it battered every time? Oh, fr- uh, battered in cornmeal and deep fried in peanut oil. That's that's oh, the best oil. way to have a uh, have a flathead catfish. And get what about a crappie? Crappie, you do him a lot of ways. Uh, my personal favorite for a crappie is actually the blackening. Uh, to get your cast iron skillet super hot, um, put a little bit of dab of butter in there, throw him on about a minute and a half on one side, flip him over, throw another dab of butter in there, makes a nice good crust on the outside of it. And then you put him in a taco and make you some homemade slaw, cut it up, put it on top with a little, what, that Mexican crema on top. Oh, oh man, you want to talk about Deadly. Good. Now, what oh, about what man. about the seasoning on a crappie? Is it always Tony's being from Louisiana? Uh, I use a lot of different stuff. Uh, you know, Realtree has got that uh, the kid, uh, Michael Mixon, who's on staff with them, who's Myra Mixon's son. So they make a whole bunch of really cool rubs. And, and they make one called like a honey money something or another that you can put on anything. And he he good. He, really? He's, he's legit. So, uh, so yeah, what, I, I, I hit them up about that. That stuff good, uh, and that uh, and that's and that's done through. I've got some of the older real tree. Is it the one with all the colors on it? With the with the, it looked like a rainbow of colors on the on the bottle. It wasn't a no. bottle, but you know the shaker. No, it's they got actually, new ones. Yeah, they got a new one. They they got like seven or eight new ones. So it's uh, and it's that mix and you know if you if any of these listeners are familiar with competition barbecue, they've heard of Myron Mixon, and so it's Myron's son that developed all this. And, oh, I know who oh, Myron Mixon is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His son Michael is wired for two twenty. Son, you ever get a chance to hang around him? That boy, woo! He he live wire now. He gets after it, huh? <laughs> oh, he's crazy. So he what gets- is what is the? Do you still like the Tonys, and do you still like the Slap Your Mama? We just got Slap Your Mama out west, probably eighteen months ago. We've had Tonys for a few years. The reason I ask is because back in 
the early 2000s, it was like, um, you know, uh, a delicacy, right, to get Tony's. When you go to Louisiana, you'd shake it on. At one time, Tabasco was the same way, another Louisiana-based company out of Avery Island. I have this conversation a lot is that Phil and you could probably go mix up your own rub or like Myron's doing and mix up his own custom rub and barbecue. But then there's also rubs that have gotten really famous because of demand. It doesn't mean that they're all good, but there is still something to be said about the quality of a Tony's, a Slappy Mama, a Tabasco just because they're worldwide, there's a reason for the, the, the Tabasco's on every table in the world, right? So there yep. are more, there are more options today with hot sauces and pepper sauces and, and rubs and seasoning salts, but there's still something to be said about those ones that, that made people go, man, you got to get your hands on some of this. Like Panola is another Louisiana based mm -hmm. company and Panola, we've, we've been, we've been custom by, you know, like online ordering Panola for 20 years. I bet my dad, when, before he passed, we'd buy it for him all the time. He loved it. But now oh, yeah. people go, man, I can make a better hot sauce than Tabasco. And I'm like, well, you might be able to, but you might. I probably can't either because there's a reason why there's this everywhere. That recipe's legit. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, hundred percent. So we actually, you know, uh, have a local guy that blends us up a seasoning. We love Tony's. Don't get us wrong. They they've been a great ambassador for the state of Louisiana. Have employed a lot of people in Louisiana, and their stuff is super good to this day. You can go in my pantry. And there's going to be the biggest jar of Tony or shaker of Tony Sasheries they make in there. And it, it will always be in there. Uh, same way Tabasco. I'm not as big of a Tabasco fan as I am a Louisiana hot sauce fan. That Louise, it's a little, little yellow thicker. And red. Yeah, a little thicker, a little less vinegar. Uh, so I'm not a big vinegar guy, but uh, for some reason my tongue hates it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, those brands that stand the test of time because they, a, you got to start with a good product. B, you got to do things the right way. Take care of your customers. Continue to do all that. And all those brands do that. And, you know, I mean, I think the same can be said for anything like Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. I mean, who who doesn't make a barbecue sauce now? But good luck getting that distribution and making that big a batch that good every time. Every you know, time. And, and same, a, with, same with Phil. You know, he was he, – he'd get a duck call, sit on the back of his truck on his tailgate and let somebody blow it. Be like, Man, that sounds like Mallard Ducks. And then he's like, well, I'll make you one. And then he would sell it. And then three people would say, man, that sounds like Mallard Ducks. And he would sell all three of them one. And then those three turned into ten saying, hey, I blew what's his name. I need to get one. Then he'd make those ten guys one. And then all of a sudden you walk into Walmart or, or Sportsman's Warehouse or Cabela's and you see the clam packaging with the little label with the, with the, you know, with the, the insert in there. And it would say old raspy and it would say the DC 600 and it would say this and, 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 and the original and all that. Right. And then you're like, man, they're everywhere. They got to be bad now. No, they're still good. They're st <laughs> it's still the same call. It's just that the word got out and Phil had to work harder and invest more time and money into the company to get the production where it is. So that that's a whole deal. Now, sometimes the quality can go down the bigger you get, but the good companies, they survive because it doesn't, because you will get called out on quality if it's not there once you start mass producing. Like if your duck calls would have sucked, nobody would have bought them. There yep. wouldn't have been a story about Duck Commander. There is a reason why it became the phenomenon that it did. The quality, the people, the message, the dedication, the passion, the love, all of that went into developing this brand that is today. And 
it can be said that hey man that duck commander probably was a bigger hunting brand before duck dynasty and it might be it might and that's what i wanted to talk to you about my question to you i want to go two parts into this question justin martin is where where do you fit into this picture when did it happen how did it happen were you born in west monroe louisiana were you a friend of the family or were you just a fanatic that kept knocking on their door saying i need a job tell take me back to the beginning of your days getting getting with dc so I was born and raised here, um, been here my whole life, and I didn't, you you lived here, you know Monroe, West Monroe ain't big at all, but Phil and the guys were such a recluse, I was a duck hunter, and I knew a duck commander, but it was still like a legend, you know, like he was one of those guys, you just don't ever see him, he was like fight club, like, you know, nobody talks about, it. you know, you just never see him. Uh, other than if you went to White's Ferry Road Church, which at that time I did not because my grandfather was still actively preaching, so I attended his church. Uh, and But when I was in college, I started working at a local sporting goods store, TP Outdoors here in West Monroe. And uh, while I was there, I became I was selling guns. I was behind the gun counter, then became the gun manager area. And that's about the time, same time Willie took over running the company. So the first time they got a shipment of Benelli's in, it come through us because it has to go from FFL to FFL. So we were the closest one. So that's when I met Willie. Whenever he first signed the Benelli deal, they come up there and got 10 shotguns to try out. Um, and from that point on, I took it as these guys are great for our company, talking about TP Outdoors, because we sell a lot of their calls. People come in there and look for them. So if I can make this relationship between TP and Duck Commander better, why wouldn't I, you know, I mean, it just seemed like the right thing to do. So me and Willie became friends, started playing poker together, playing golf together. Um, I was still working at TP and then I started graduate school and all this time, me and Willie had become better and better friends. And when I was in my second year of graduate school at ULM, I just called him up and was like, look, dude, here's the deal. I'm getting paid from school. You don't have to get, you don't have to pay me a dime, but I need something to do to get this research out of my head, like just dump it. Like, and I'd rather help a friend than I, than I, than help anybody else. And he was like, you'll work for free. I was like, yeah, man, I don't need the money. Like it's not a big deal. I'm getting paid here. So I'm not trying to double dip, but if you'll let me, then that'll, we're, we're helping each other out. You're helping me like do some mind numbing labor, just whatever. And then I'll help you in return by not charging you anything. And hopefully you get something good out of it. I don't know. So he was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, so I showed up my first day, whatever. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, funny story. Walmart just quit all of their waterfowl. They're done with the waterfowl business. However, the hunting buyer said, we can call every store individually and the store manager can can order direct from us. And they have like a little, at that time they had a little shelf space like for the store manager to put local product or product they thought was needed in there so he said here's the list of walmart sat them on a little desk in front of me and there was a phone there he said i need your help i was like huh this is more mind-numbing than i thought okay <laughs> all right okay i'll bite so i don't know if you've done this or anybody if you want a hobby call your local walmart your local one and attempt to get to the sporting goods manager from the front desk 
Yeah, not. Let me know how long. Let me know how long that takes. Yeah, I know. What you on mean. top, on top of, I called all six hundred that were identified as waterfowl stores. So, but I made a big enough impact with it that the next year Walmart put Duck Commander back on the shelf in all the waterfowl mods. So I was like, a little feather in my hat. And then next thing I knew, working in that sales deal, people were like, "Well, can I reach out to you?" And they were like, "Yeah." I was like, "Yeah." What's your email? And I was like. At that time, I didn't even have an email other than my school one. So I'm like, I'm not going to give them to whatever at ulm.edu, you know. God, that was loud. Oh, I got an email. Okay, never mind. Sorry about that. Um, all right. But um, so anyway, I set up an email without Willie knowing. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and then I emailed him from it. And he said, that's when I figured I had to start paying you. When I got an email from Martin at duckcommander.com, I figured – it's time to start paying you. Uh, so it was, <laughs> from that moment on, I kind of worked in the sales department for a little bit. And, um, you know, I'll never forget what got me into the call shop was Gander Mountain at the time ordered 6,000 duck calls for like a like a uh, Black Friday blowout deal. They wanted, you know, just get people in the stores. So I called Jason. was like, hey, look, here's the deal. I just sold 6,000 duck calls. They need them in 72 hours. And he laughed and hung up. I was like, huh, okay. All right, let's try this again. Let's go a different angle. So I, I went at it like, that's a really good deal for us. It gets us in the door. Blah, and he, huh, hung up again. I said, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go down there. So I drove down to Phil's and um, – sat there with him he's like well we got them but like they're not put together and we ain't gonna get them put together and i said well what if i help you and he said can you even blow a duck call i said yeah i i can blow a duck call and he's like he just threw me one he said well here show me what you got he said you can blow a duck call he said why ain't you ever done it before i said well i'm sitting in a duck blind with phil and jace robertson if i got a call we're, we're in a bad spot. So like this, this, this ain't, you know, I mean, I'm not going to blow my duck call around you, you know? And he was like, no, nah, sit down, son. And from that point on, I never, I, I stayed in that call shop all throughout until three years ago. Um, you know, I've been here almost 12 years now. And, um, yeah, I, I tell everybody now, I think I've had every job at this company yeah. other, other than the bookkeeper. That, that, that the only thing I haven't done is our accounting. So, uh, you know, but I've swept floors. I've, you know, shoveled crap. If you want to call it that I've built boxes, I've packaged up calls, built them, you name it. I've done it here. So what year uh, was this? What year was this when you came over, when you were in college and came over and started helping Willie from TV? I started here, uh, for free in 2008, summer of 2008. And then I started getting paid in the spring of 2009. So, so you've been a full-time employee pretty much since for 11 years, 12 years yep, now. Yeah, going on 12. Yep, that's and crazy. How, long, how much longer, I'm going to say this, that 2008, 2009, it wasn't, it was probably 2011 or 12 that Duck Dynasty started. Maybe 11. 2000, 2012. 12 was yep. when Dynasty started. I got a story yep. about that. I was, I was uh, in North Dakota. Well, let me start a little bit before that. I was in Gonzales, Louisiana at a Cabela's event, and Willie was there for D.C., and he showed me the original 
opening. There was a, a yeah. before the ZZ Top one and the Ducks and the Bentley and or the Rolls Royce and all that. And there originally there was a another thing of a like a helicopter or something flying around Phil, and it was just Phil getting circles around him. And yep. um and and he's like, we got this new thing going. Didn't tell me everything. So then a couple months later, I'm in uh it's early October, mid October, I'm in North Dakota chasing mallards. And at that time I was working with a public relations firm out of Atlanta and, um, we were getting ready to have an article printed on us about bandit and the foul life in USA today. Well, that day it came out. I got a call from Willie saying, congratulations, Belden, Phil and I saw the article and I said, what y'all up to? And they were in, Willie was in California getting in, in, I don't know if it was Beverly Hills or wherever the production company was, but that was when they first signed that deal. And it was, I think it was in 2000, the fall of 11. And then it went to air in 12 or that was 2012 and went to air in 13. I don't remember, but I remember that day that Willie's like, yeah, we're down here in California, SoCal getting ready to sign this deal with A&E and we got this show coming. And I had already seen the original intro, but then they changed it to the ZZ top one. Yeah. hundred percent. That would have been uh yeah. Fall of 2011. Cause we filmed, we ended up filling the pilots in like March of 2012 and they started airing in May. And, um, and then they ordered 15 episodes, the first run, it was the biggest run A and E had ever ordered initially out the gate. And then, you know, 115 episodes later, we said goodbye to the reality network television world. Yeah. Uh, But the, the mark had been left. Oh man, it was, it was super cool. And, you know, we, get asked all the time like did y'all ever think it would be that successful or successful at all and we're like well I mean you you don't do anything to not be successful right but who could have seen you know 14 million people watching on a Wednesday night at eight o'clock central you're like I mean you, you that you that's all that's all the good lord there it wasn't us it wasn't nothing we did you know it was just it was what it was it was a phenomenon and man, did we get to do some really cool stuff throughout that deal. And, you know, forever thankful for that and for the doors it continues to open. So And, it's like, and the doors that it continues to open for guys like me, companies like I don't even know how many were affected um, in a positive manner by the success of Robertson's and you and Duck Dynasty and the realism of it and the, and the touch points. Everybody looked at it as – saying grace at a table to loving your brother and being, you know, cutting up. And there was funny stuff. I mean, the stuff with Phil and Cy in the elementary school and how to clean a duck and stuff like that. You just look at it like that is what should be going on in America. And now it's being shown to whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever, you have the opportunity to see this. And I promise you, it wasn't just 14 million Republicans watching the show. There was a lot of just the whole diverse of the, you know, every end of the spectrum and in between. And I think that all these companies, the shirt that you're wearing, the shirt that I'm wearing, I mean, real tree camouflage patterns were being seen by 14 million people. Duck decoys were seen. There was the one where y'all were out on the loading dock and it was you and it was uh, uh, Jace and Goodwin, Godwin and one other guy might have been, but Willie comes driving up and y'all are sitting on the loading dock and there's decoys in a mud puddle that the rain had built up not a mud puddle but in the cement and then there was decoys shown and alligators swimming and duck calls being blown and the transitional scenes were duck calls being blown and and a duck taken off in the water and 
that stuff was being seen by the masses. So now we're, it's becoming like more accepted. And then these other companies are getting to, to get a little bit of more momentum built off of your guys' success. So I think that the success of that show and the classiness of it and the approach of it, I think that something had happened and you might know, you know more about this obviously, but season one had a little bit more pyrotechnics in it. It was a little bit more in your face, kind of blowing stuff up. And it seemed like it changed. I don't know if the production, cha- the production company changed or the scope of the work changed, but after that, that season, it just kind of went into this whole flow of real life. And all of these other companies in our sector, in our space were being rewarded for it at this and you guys were doing all of the other of the heavy lifting so it helped a lot more people than just duck commanders my point oh yeah 100 percent. you're right it was a a complete change from season one throughout because season one they were like well we think we need this stuff to really to get people in you know what gets a redneck to watching something stuff blowing up and stuff you know big fires and stuff like that and then they got the feedback from the people that were viewing it and were like, they don't, they don't need this. Like they're like, those guys are interesting enough as it is. So when they shifted from that, then it did, it became real life and it became real everyday situations that 98% of America faces with the, where the storylines a little different than perhaps that they face with not getting a duck call order out on time or this, could that be the same as not getting your food cooked on time or not getting your T-shirts printed on time? You name it. You insert whatever job you do there, but everybody has dealt with that stress of how are we going to do this? And you do it because you pull together as a team and they all realize that. And then it was a time when America and still is, was super busy. And just like we're going through now with the, the quarantine and everything else, it showed people it's okay to take a pause out of your day and spend some time with your family. That's the number one thing that we heard from it was the family time, family dynamic. Like, man, that takes us back to being a kid sitting around grandmama's table. And, you know, you just forget to do that. And, and because what's in front of you is a goal-based society and a, you know, a performance-based society, you forget to take that hour, two hours out and invest in those around you and showing people that I think it was just a refreshing deal. Uh, And, you know, you know, us, you're just, there was never a chance of anything immoral, irrational or anything like that coming up. So the other thing we always hear is I could turn that on for my kids and walk out of the room and not have to worry about anything. And it would keep them entertained for hours. And at the end of the day, man, that, that's who we're trying to influence. We're trying to influence the people that are going to be taking care of me and you one day. I mean, that that's, that's the future of this country, not us. We're as far as they're concerned, we're past our time. We are who we are. So how do you get to the seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds who are going to shape the next hundred years of how this place is operated and things are done. So, well, you think about what you, cool. you think about what you said a half hour ago about Phil being able to afford the finest steak in the world, but he's going to eat that flathead. You, when you slow down and you start to see what's important and you don't have the whole idea of success or rush or in goals, goals are important. Competitiveness is important. Phil was a competitor. Phil wouldn't 100%. have got where he's got if he didn't have a competitive nature. I guarantee you that Willie doesn't want to go onto the golf course and lose to Larry the Cable Guy. I promise yeah. you he doesn't. Um, people are competitive. The Robertsons are competitive. Justin Martin is competitive. That's our nature. But the slowdown is what 
means the most when you can discipline yourself to do that and understand that everything that you are hustling, bustling for every day and like, oh, I got to get here. I got to get this dealer. I got to get you. You do have to do that. But if you skip the other parts, all of that money in the world will not mean anything because here we are. Phil at 74 has more money than he needs. Like you said that he'll be able to spend in his lifetime. But he don't care about that. He he wants to go and be with Kay and be at that property and see that river. If Phil said, all the money in the world, but I got to go move out to Beverly Hills and live up on a hill in Malibu, he'd say, uh-uh, <laughs> ain't happening. <laughs> and he, he said it. I mean, Phil had issues. Phil had problems with the recording and the scheduling, I'm sure, of, of, of cutting into his day-to-day. And I bet you there was nobody happier in the world. He loved the success. He loved what it did for his brand and his family. Don't get me wrong. But I promise you, he was like, oh, now it's time to go... You you know, get back to what Phil does, right? Because, and you said he's stubborn right now. He didn't really want to be leaving to go film anything ever. Probably I would guess. No, he never, he never wanted to, but he knew for the sake of the company, we had to go kill ducks. And at that time he hadn't been able to put the amount of blood, sweat and tears into his property to pull that off. So he was like, I know I can go to Texas with Benny and kill him. I know I can go to central Arkansas with WE and kill them. I know I can run up to the snake river in Idaho and kill them. And I can knock out a video in two weeks where I won't get half a video if I sit at the house for 60 days. So, you know, he, he, he was a grinder. I mean, let's call it what it is. You know, you had to grind hustle. You know, I remember one night we were, we're driving to Nebraska to go hunting and we stopped. I mean, we, we didn't, and we still wasn't making no money. This was a time like, you know, um, you'd get your paycheck on Friday and get asked, hey, could you wait till Tuesday till we get that other check in to, to cash your check? You're like, yeah, ain't no problem. Whatever. We'll do whatever we can for the company. And But we were staying in this little old motel, I mean, dump of a thing. And we were there in the middle of the night, and I just, I heard a thud on the wall. And I was like, what in the world is that? And I'll wake up and Phil's just sitting up in his bed. Well, he done had a mouse crawl on him and just threw that sucker up against the wall and killed him graveyard dead. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we were still doing when I started here. It wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. Like, when I started here, they started filming season one of Benelli Presents Duck Commander. So, uh, that was my first year here was season one of that. And, uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, I mean, the stuff we did, that one right there, that trip in particular, we left here at like noon on a, on whatever and made it to Nebraska for opening morning, uh, for theirs out in West Nebraska. And I'm talking about stepped out of the truck, put our waiters on, went duck hunt, stopped, took about two hour nap in my ratty motel and kept on trucking, you know, five of us in one pickup truck for that long, it, that a long way from here. Yeah. Um, so I, re- I remember those, you, I remember those episodes, there's some potholes yeah. and stuff. I remember those, I remember those yeah. episodes of Benelli. Yeah, you did what you had to do to make it, man. So and, has, and has your has your buddy that that you that you met getting the Benellis at TP Outdoors and started playing poker and some golf with? Uh, you know, he he came he became a rock star wearing the the United States flag bandana around his head and and um, you know speeching speaking engagements here and endorsement deals here and big time endorsement deals and celebrity golf tournaments and did 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 the Willie Robertson the friend of Justin Martin did he get arrogant did he develop an ego that changed him to where now you barely talk to him and you don't see him anymore and you never get to golf with him or did he keep stay grounded and his roots are 
still the exact same with his family and his wife and his kids that as they ever were, even, you know, in the days he was picking up those Benelli's at TP. A hundred percent. He is at his core who he was when he started. Did he change a little bit? Of course he did. How, how could you not? But his change went from running two hunting companies, duck commander and buck commander to now being so enthralled in ministry work by his success and the money that he made in reinvesting that into ministry work, that it's the same passion he had for duck commander and buck commander. It's just now repurposed into our little youth camp here and with a company called help one now where they go into like South American countries and they'll build villages out in the middle of the jungle to go rescue these women from sex trafficking in these big cities and take them out there and teach them a trade and uh, teach them just how to get back to life where it's not what they were doing. Like how do they become productive members of society? So to see his role change from like running our companies day to day to investing, he could do whatever he wanted to right now and to choose to put other people ahead of himself is nothing short of like, that's what I want to be. Like, I want to never forget that there are others out there way worse than me. And how can I help them? How can I use the blessings that were bestowed upon me to do that? You know, to, to keep pushing forward, to not just get relaxed in where I'm at and say, man, I've made a lot of money. I'll just sit here and have fun the rest of my days. Like, does he have fun? Of course he does. But he is still constantly working towards a goal of, of growing his ministry. So, and you're still as good of friends with him as you ever were, right? Oh, 100%. Went over, went over there uh, yesterday morning before I came to the office. He was cooking something. I was like, he's like, hey, try this. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a chef now. So, yeah, I, I, things have changed. He, he got all enthralled and wanted to be really good at golf because, like you said, he got tired of getting beat by Larry the Cable Guy. So put in like, he put in two artificial holes in his backyard he don't ever play anymore. The best thing he did with his backyard was he built us a pond. So now we can go over there and get us 10 fish in the afternoon if we want fish to eat and call it good. That's, I said, that's the best investment you made through this whole thing was this pond. He said, yeah, but now I'm going to fill it back up with fish. We done caught everything. Out of it. I said, that's cheap, man. You can't, you can't right. let that bother you. Is he, is, is he really not playing golf much anymore? He doesn't play much anymore. Not uh, he, uh, He'll play two or three tournaments a year, and that's it. No, is he, he still he doing a lot with Buck Commander? He does. He deer hunts a lot, but I'm telling you, he's turned into his dad so much. Like his 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 goal is to get. So he started his first job outside of working for Duck Commander and boxing calls when he's 10, 11, 12, 13 years old was working at Camp Chioka, our little youth camp. And he said then he like had all this list of things like. He was camp director and like, if I had money, I'd do this, that, and the other. Well, now he's got money. So he's doing all those things he thought he would want to do when he was 19 and 20 running that youth camp. So he's out there being filled every day, riding a tractor, tearing stuff down, building new stuff. And I told him, I said, it's scary how much you're becoming your father. And he's like, no, nah, what are you talking about? I said, y'all do the same that thing like every him. day. That sounded every like day. I mean, You even got his voice day. down. You yeah. got his voice down. <laughs> So what? Take take me back to University of Louisiana Monroe. What were you studying? You said you were doing research and stuff. What were what was your major and what were you studying in your research program? Uh, my major was biology, 
And I studied utilizing ArcMap and GIS systems for wood duck management. Um, and basically what it was is so I developed a deal um, that I gave, ended up giving to some people, some software stuff that you can, I can, somebody can send me a picture of their land right now. I can run this filter over the satellite image of their land and I can say, these eight spots are where I would put wood duck nest boxes. If you want wood ducks on your property, if you want to, if you want to a develop wood ducks on your property or B just give back something to conservation and, and, you know, put more ducks on the ground. I chose, I did wood ducks because obviously they're local. They nest here, they reproduce here, do all their stuff here. Um, so that's what I did. And I, I surveyed like 160, wood duck boxes for two years on i'd start in february and end in august every year and i would count i'd ban the hens um i would count eggs i would count successful nests i would remove rat snakes if possible um worst one ever is you know when you're doing 160 something you kind of get in a lull like you just you, you're like oh yeah take it off you you even become immune to playing with wild wood ducks even though like for those two years and for a year prior to that, I was doing that stuff and I became friends with a lot of them because the same hens nest in the same box. So like they know I open the door, they're like, he's back. And I just flip it over and she'd have the band on her leg and I'd put her back in there. She wouldn't even freak out. But the worst one ever is I got in that little deal and I hadn't been there in a year. Right. So, um, well, apparently from the last time I was there and when that started, some honeybees said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my nest in there. I wouldn't no more paying attention. And I peeled that door off of that thing. And son, did I get lit up. I'm talking about, oh, I was running, screaming on that WMA. Just You look like I Tommy Boy. Find, you look like oh, Tommy Boy. I, bees, I bees. I couldn't find a ditch fast enough to get in. Is, they this, were, is, this, they, is this where the skid on Duck Dynasty was taken? Because I no, remember, but, I remember a bee one on there. Yeah, no, but that was another one where I was like, "Yeah, them bees ain't no big deal." Like, I mean, I've been eat up by them. I mean, it hurt, but like, you know, it wasn't no big deal. So Phil was like, well, "We need to go get the honey out of that thing." And I was like, "Okay," and we got ate up on that. Every time I mess with bees, I get <laughs> ate up. So I, I don't, you know, it's you might you, you all, at least you're not allergic to them. You'd know by now if you were. Oh, I guarantee <laughs> you that one right there. Yeah. Uh, the old boy, the technician for the work for LDWF, pulled like 30 stingers out of my back. I said, I was at least fast enough to get them in my back, son. I just, <laughs> I gave him everything I had. I mean, I'd get so out you, of did, there. Did, did, did you, did Phil capitalize on any of this education on his property from you? Did you, did you go down there and help with elevation and water levels and, and trees and planting and crops and food sources and all that? For sure. Yeah. I, um, with his property, we ended up uh, building a drawdown schedule uh, for moist soil management. Uh, we we prefer to use moist soil if at all possible. Now, there's some places where we can't get water to without flooding everything else that we do plant crops in. But our crops are, we plant millet. We plant jack millet. We plant wild millet. Um, that, but that's all we plant. We tried rice and some other things in the woods and um they work, and but they really end up becoming deer food plots for us more than they're they're used for ducks. But so, 
uh, deer will only get on that jack millet and stuff when it's milky, like the head's real milky. So if they're not there that basically 24 hours, then you're fine. So it um, that's why we started using that. And after the first year of millets, you can manipulate. So you can go in and disc and you can get a better crop. And But it's shading out all your noxious weeds like coffee beans and stuff like that. So you end up getting smart weeds, sprangle top, tooth cup, uh, you name it. I mean, I'm a big plant nerd. I'm just a big nerd in general. I love nature and um, I love growing grasses. I love growing the stuff that farmers been trying to kill for years out of their crops uh, because it just produces so much seed per acre for ducks and with very little spin. See, so I'm also in charge of writing that check for the chemical and for <laughs> the diesel and everything else. So I'm like, how in the world can I decrease that spin? Like, what can we do to, to make that even better for the company? So, uh, yeah, I mean, doing all that, I, I enjoy doing that. Habitat work is probably, I enjoy it almost as much as the duck hunt, to be honest with you, because it's cool to see it all come together. Like, Man, what a better, you know, what, you talk about seeing it all come together, Martin, what a better story. I don't think you could write a better story of somebody that has a passion for what you just explained in biology and moist soil management and, and living on, you know, as far as like growing the land, right? The habitat. You're working at a sporting goods store because you're a duck hunter and you have this passion for firearms and the outdoors and hunting and harvesting and living off the land, fishing too. I know Petrus and, you know, and, and the guys at TP and, and um, they have two stores, two, mm-hmm. two of them, one yep. in Monroe and one in West Monroe, right? Yep. And you're getting educated in this. You meet this guy that he sees your passion and your love of, of just being a good person. You guys develop this kinship and friendship. That ends up being your livelihood working for a duck call company called Duck Commander that turns into way more than just duck calls. You become a reality TV star because of this one conversation and just showing somebody that, hey, this is the real me This is and this is the real Willie. You guys get chemistry. It turns into this whole deal to where not only are you the general manager of a very successful outdoor company, company called duck commander buck commander fish commander turkey what's the turkey one called strut strut commander well great name and then you're still getting to go over to phil robertson who is arguably the most famous influential duck hunter duck hunting conservation guy of all time in our industry hands down the most successful duck hunter of all time and then on top of that you get to go and do you get to go and get on his land and not just catch fish and hunt ducks on it but you get to be responsible for making the growth happen with phil so it's it comes full circle it's it's like you've been fulfilled in all these ways at the same time meeting your fiance getting married living in the same place that you were born and raised in and working for a company that took place over a gun counter conversation and maybe a poker game a week later that to me is like unfreaking believable man yeah, good for you brother you- well, I appreciate it, man. And when you when you look back at it, man, again, it all these things were put in place, not by me. I mean, was I a tool used to do it? Of course I was. But man, the good Lord blessed me. I mean, there's no there's no way to describe it other than that because those things don't just happen by chance. And now what you do with that chance to me is determined by you. The chance becomes there how do you take how do you take advantage of that chance and for me my parents always taught me man hard work hard work will get you a long ways in life and um you know i my mom i'll never forget it she always told me she said and this was my first job landscaping uh, when i was 15 in high school she said 
your goal at any job should be for them to wake up the next day and wonder what they would do without you. And that's how I've approached everything in my yeah, life is what, what would these people tomorrow do without me? If they can say, Oh, life would go on. Then are you really doing what you were put here for? And, and so I've just always approached life that way. I, and when it comes to football, anything, I've always tried to put my best foot forward and make these people say, what would we do without this guy? You know, become and, indispensable. Even, yeah. even, even though, even though you're not, in there, and the, that's ego that makes somebody say, "Oh, they, this company'd fail if I wasn't here." That's a totally different level mindset, terrible mindset to have. But being indispensable and going and showing and taking ownership and showing how much you truly care for the well-being of that company—that's what being indispensable means. And your mom is exactly right that if you went there and went through the motions and 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 you didn't and you took it for granted and it was just a paycheck to you. That's not how you go through life. You got to take ownership and you got to show that employer like, hey, I'm here for a reason. Phil, 6,000 duck calls. Nah, man, we got the parts. We can't put them together. I'll help. That is being indispensable. Yeah, I can blow a duck call. I'm not, I never once used my ego and said, I want to become somebody with Duck Commander because I am just as good, if not a better duck caller than you, Jace or Phil. You never did that. You kept it quiet. They didn't even know you knew how to hold one. And then all of a sudden they're like, dang, how come you've never done that? And you just said, because I don't need to when I'm hunting with y'all. I don't need to. I'm good enough to get mallards at eight feet to kill them with a 28 gauge, but I didn't have to tell you that. I'm just happy being here. But at the same time, I'm not just going to take that for granted. I'm going to work my tail end off to make sure that you and Jace and Miss Kay and Willie and everybody understands that I am humbled by this opportunity and I do not take it for granted. And that you, there's all those moving parts that go in to success. If you were not suited for success and the good Lord didn't put you in a position to be there, you could have failed in a heartbeat. You could have, you could have been not failed. You just wouldn't have been in the position that you are. You might be a, a biologist. You might be working for the county. You might be working for the state DNR, the Department of Natural Resources or the Wildlife Commission. Something else could have been your route, but this was the road you were meant to take, but it could have ended if Willie would have been like, man, I just don't see it in you, bub. I'm going to, you know, but look at what you got to, you got to experience all of this because of your passion and hard work. That's how it works, man, because the good Lord could have put you there, but you could have failed too. I'm just telling you that that, that whole thing that your mom said about the word I think is being indispensable. It's not arrogant. And it's not saying that Duck Commander is nothing without Justin Martin. You just made sure that 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 the Robertson family understood your love and passion for their brand. Oh, 100%. And, man, it's – I wake up every day trying to figure out, you know, why why me on that? Because somebody who's – and I always joke about this – who's got the wrong last name you know, as Martin ends up running a Robertson company. And, man, it just – at the end of the day, it makes you feel good because you know that these people have basically entrusted you with essentially their checkbook. Like, here you go, do what you will with it. And yeah, I tell them, they were like, you know, what, what's your method for doing all this? I'm like, well, I'll be honest with you. Before I spend a dime of your money, I picture both of y'all sitting across the table from me watching me write that check. Like, cause it ain't my money. And I understand that. And you know, they're like, that's that's a pretty good method to have right there. And I was like, well, you know, I I just I'm honored by what y'all do, and I'm glad that you trust me to do it. And I don't ever want to forsake that honor. Or, that's you know, awesome. I'm 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 loyal to you, um, and we're going to take this thing. I it's such an American dream story from 1972 to where we are now. 
Unbelievable. I just I carry that as a badge on my on my back. Like we got to keep getting this thing up to the top of the mountain, you know, because I mean everybody wants to stake their flag at the top of the mountain, and but once you get to the top of the mountain, then everybody else starts climbing up with you, and all of a sudden you're all at the same level again. So how do you stay on top? And that's that's a cool deal. It's a challenge. It makes work where it's never boring, and you could get relaxed on your hands, and this thing could make the same amount of money it makes every year, but that, that's no fun. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's grow this thing, man. Let's have some fun. Let's, let's stay involved. Let's just, I love it, man. Speaking I love of gro- the speaking of, I love it too. And I love it for you, Justin. And what about the next generation of Robertsons? Is there another generation of, of Robertson clan coming up to be a part of the brand and the company? Are they all going a different route? And if so, are there, are there talks or anything about you becoming and and this is none of my business. You can cut it off if you want. Are you going to be an equity owner, a partner? Are you going to buy Duck Commander from the Robertsons? Is it a generational company that's being passed down to one of Willie's or Jace's or one of the other sons of Phil's kids? Um, what's going on there? Where is the brand going right now? You're what? What are you? You're 30, 35 years old. Yeah, I'm. I'll be 35 in August. Oh, what a guess! Um, Pretty close guess. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I so, look about I look about forty five I take that hat off. Well, right. I'm we forty five. So you saying forty five's old? You better knock <laughs> no, it off, just, Martin. No, I'm just saying I'm bald. That's oh, all me, I'm saying. Me too, um, buddy. Me too. <laughs> uh but right now none of the kids seem to they're all doing their own thing. Sadie Robertson took took a baton and ran with that sucker, son, and couldn't be happier for like she is killing it, influencing a bunch of young ladies' lives these days. Love it. Love that she's become a positive role model for for a generation that needs one. Uh, absolutely love that. John Luke is now actually Willie's oldest son is actually running the Christian camp that Willie's overseeing and doing the projects with. So that's John Luke's kind of drive. He's he's got a very ministry forward heart. Um, you know, Will, who Willie adopted. Uh, is about to graduate high school. Who knows what he's going to do? Uh, same with Bella. She graduates this spring. Um, and then Jace's kids, Reed is living in Nashville. Uh, he's He does a lot of property stuff, like owns a bunch of rent houses, took some, took some of the stuff he made, made some good investments, and is happy doing that in the hottest growing city in America. So it's brilliant. Uh, very good business model. Uh, good for him. Cole moved, Jace's second son moved to Pepperdine out in California um, and is working. His degree is in ministry also. So uh, right now there's no kids on the horizon that, but you know, I mean, any one of them any day could wake up and say, you know, we want to take over the company and with it being a family business and a generational deal, that's every bit they're right. Um, there's been no talks of any kind of, equity partnership and i we're not there yet nobody's there yet um i'm i'm certainly not ready to make that decision uh to say you know this is where i'm i'm putting my full roots down because i I just don't i I think at 35 and still being young in marriage having only been married uh going on five years uh i don't know where me and Brittany will end up one day so um i you know i know we're too young and too short along to make that decision right now for sure uh would it be something that would be cool and honorable? Yeah, of course it would, you know, for those people to even to entertain the idea for Willie and Corey to entertain the idea of 
letting me do something like that. Would that be awesome? Of course it would. But I, I don't know that that's my path. Um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out, man. At 35, I'm, I consider myself in the prime of whatever I'm going to do for the rest of life. And I'm trying to get set up for the next 15, 20 years. And, you know, I just, I trust the good Lord. I, I tell everybody I wasn't even looking for a job when I found this one. So, um, you know, I'm going to trust in the plan he's got for me. I'm going to continue to pray, give him thanks and, and see where he leads me. Um, you know, that's a, it's a hard thing to do. Cause like you said, we are competitive. We're very type A personalities it's a hard thing to let go and for people like that to, to follow instead of all the time leading. So it's a, you know, there's a balance. I have to lead this company, but I have to follow God. Um, and that's a, there's a balance there. Cause I found in my life, when you try to get out in front and lead with God, that's a bad deal. Nothing good ever comes from that. So long as you follow, trust the path and trust that what you're doing is the right thing opportunities come opportunities go and you just pray that you make the the right decision the informed decision and all you can do is talk to people smarter than you which luckily i'm surrounded by people that are smarter than me um you know and then just figure it out from there very well said so cotton mouse phil made it phil made it famous a long time ago about you know the stance of a louisiana and southern man on a cotton mouse snake steak snake they're not edible right uh i've never tried one i mean i'm sure you could if you were just that hungry but they smell so bad i don't want no part they do they put off a skunk smell don't they they got an odor Mm -hmm. like a why is that do they want to let people know that they're in the area yeah they let out a musk like a lot of snakes do but theirs i think because of their diet being a lot of fish and crawfish and frogs has a particular pungency about it that a lot of other snakes they they don't have that smell so is it the only an, is it the only animal that you all don't eat and i don't mean that in a bad, bad way you all i mean do, is there is there other things that run around on phil's land that you don't eat because i know you eat the fish i know you eat the frogs i know you eat the gator i know you eat the ducks i know you eat the deer i know you eat the turkey do you eat a possum i don't know can you no, eat a possum you don't eat a possum i ain't i ain't eating him you're not uh, eating a possum no, I, so there's two fishing I was fishing on that river one day and there was a big bloated up cow floating on the river. And from out of that, that cow's rear end, there was a big old hole where the buzzards done opened him up, came a possum. I said, you ain't ever got to worry about me eating him. Nope. <laughs> I'm out on him. So nope, is that, is I that ain't. the only two? Is it, is what else is there besides, besides a cotton mouth and a possum? We kill beavers and don't eat them. Um, just to get the water off of our trees. Um, and then we'll manage raccoons because of, you know, they need to be managed. If you let them go unchecked, then they'll eat you out of house and home on everything and tear up your stuff, tear up your deer stands and everything else. Uh, but we do pelt those out. And, you know, Phil got some guy to make him like six pairs of beaver socks. He says they're the warmest thing. So he puts them, they're like booties, and he puts them down in his waders and wears, you know, again, man's very opinionated. So I don't know if they're warm or not. He wouldn't let us try none of them. So, uh, you know, um, but you know, there's coon skin caps running around on all the grandkids and local redneck kids and everything down there. So, uh, we try to at least show the animal respect other than that cotton mouth. We shoot him, leave him right where he's at. But, um, you know, there's people, we got bashed a lot for that from the animal loving world. And I'm like, 
okay, just come walking down here. We ain't even putting a dent in these suckers. Phil's property is the healthiest population of cottonmouths I have ever seen. And way more get away from you before you get a shot off than the dumb ones that just sit. We're just killing the dumb ones. We ain't killing the smart ones. Yeah, you're just taking a few out. Yeah, just so that I don't have to walk back by there and worry about him striking me on the leg. That's why Phil Phil goes first everywhere. He says, well, it's always the second man that gets bit. (laughs) (laughs) He says that, huh? Now, there's probably no – clever or wittier dude with more one-liners that i've ever seen i mean he 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 comes up with them do you think he sits in that chair in that living room at night and writes them down or is he just that clever and witty i i think there's truth to both of those i think he writes some down that get himself tickled and i think some of them he just comes up with spur of the moment you know so it's do you uh, have a favorite off the top of your head that you were just standing there and phil said something or was it in the media that he said something do you, can you think of any off your head that really made you go man that dude is just hilarious Oh man! Well, I'll tell you, I the the one I just said stands out to me because like the first time I ever went down there with him, we took off, and he said, "I said, Phil, you ain't worried about snakes, you know? We just walk. He's in daggum slip on shoes, like during the middle of summer, like we're walking around all that water." And he said, "No, a second man gets bit," and he just kept on walking. And I'm looking around, I'm like, "Well, I'm here. I'm the second man." Like. And he just, he never batted an eye, never chuckled, never, he just, oh, his second man, he gets bit and just kept walking. Has said, Phil ever been bit by one? No, he has not. His, his dog sister got what? bit. Didn't his sister get bit in the old days? Or did, I, I remember him telling a story at one time that his yeah, little sister um, almost lost a leg or something, I thought, but I might be imagining that right now. I don't know. Yeah, she got bit by a copperhead in the yard. Oh, so it wasn't even a cotton mouth. Yeah. Um, but his dog got bit three years ago now. Uh, blue we were down there and um he shot one and blue was not tied up in the back of the rig and so when he heard the shot he thought duck you know he wasn't thinking no better he just boom took off after him and the snake just popped him right in the chest and he was in critical care for about three weeks you know like peeled all the skin off from his chair it was oh it was nasty man but blues he's still with us (laughs) live and kicking um so, and all his little terriers have got bit multiple times by cotton mouse and rattlesnakes and everything else. They, they, his little terriers love to play with snakes. So it's, yeah. it's unreal. So if somebody, if somebody told you before you, you know, you're not going to be able to duck hunt ever again, Justin Martin, you just can't do it. We're closing down the season. Tell me who you're with, where you're at, what's, what's, what's flying around. And just give me an idea of, uh, you know, I want to know the gun you're using. Just paint the picture of the last duck hunt that Justin Martin goes on. If he's told he never gets to go on another one, who do you enjoy that day with in the blind? What species are flying around in the air? And what's going on? Just give me a little bit of a rundown. If I had to pick my last hunt. So we're going to be probably – at W.E.'s place up in central Arkansas, Sullivan Lake, a uh, place the Morris is on there on Bayou View. Beautiful. Love that place. We'll be in that north blind, and Cy Robertson will be there, 100%. Um, he may be the only Robertson there, but for sure Cy will be there. Um, my wife will be there, and if I can go – 
pluck back in time, my grandfather would be there. Um, along with my good buddy, uh, Clay McConnell, who I hunt with most of the season now, that would probably be my five pack. Um, me, I would be shooting a Benelli, mm, mm, either, either my 20 gauge or my 28. It's got a, it's a toss up between those two. Cause I love them both. Um, is your 28 my, an ethos? My, my 28 is actually the ultralight. The ultralight. Uh, okay. I, I think it's the only camouflage Benelli ultralight in existence. I got a Woodstock and blued barrel and I sent it to Realtree. I said, make this thing where I ain't scared to use it. And they sent it back and it's in like the old AP camo. Uh, that's how long I've had it. And, um, but it'll be one of those two. Not that the Super Black Eagle 3 is not a good gun, but I love little guns. I love them. It's so much fun to me. Um, and we would, you know, we'd probably start off with, let's start off with two bunches of about 10 to 15 green wing teal right in the plugs and just go ahead and rip them because we need some really fine little groceries. Yeah. I love eating them rascals. And then we'd finish out with some some bunches of Mallard Drakes and just coming right down that little Cypress Lake and backpedaling right in front of you, man, and just Katie bar the door. And and that would that would do my heart well. And if a old if a old goofy speckle belly could get caught tree topping in some fog that morning, that'd be fun too. So <laughs> I like that. What there was a would the last TV show that y'all had on the outdoor network was called what? Commander it was Commander Life. Commander Life. There yep. was a, there was a scene in there. Y'all are in a blind, and the, the camera is off a little bit up to the right of the blind, so it's out in front to the right, looking back at a forty five degree angle. And some mallards come back pedaling down into the hole, and you and y'all just wear them out. I don't know if this is ringing a bell. Is that dub? Is that Red Dog's hole, or was that on Phil's land? If you if you remember the one I'm talking about, it was a structured blind, and the the camera's off in the distance a little bit, and you see, and the, there was there was multiple camera angles, but this one was like a stagnant camera the static camera that was just sitting up by itself it seemed like out in front of that, the blind i believe that would have either been it fills during the freeze up or it could have been at barrett's place in kansas during when it was thawing out but i, I think i remember which it was one of those two because i can't remember because the blinds on a little point of trees right there and it could be either one of those and i don't remember it, if it was a big bunch of mallards, it was probably Barrett's. Um, yeah, because he's he's got them. Uh, that that part of South Kansas is special. Well, if anybody listening out here ain't ever duck hunted Kansas, you need to go try that. Does Phil that ever is, go up there anymore? Not anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I, he did go last year for like two days, and then the cold came. He said, "I'm going back south, boys." <laughs> he's like. Uh-uh. <laughs> He said, "My days of freezing are over." He's like, "I ain't do, I ain't doing that more." So, uh, but yeah, it's man, that Southern Kansas, wow, it's a lot of mallard ducks. Woo, okay, so now we started off this with talking about how you eat a flathead and a a crappie. What do you do with these ducks? What give me like if you and Phil and Jace or or just you by yourself or I don't know who you cook with a lot. Do you take a lot of inspiration from Willie or Phil's recipes? What do you do with the teal and what do you do with the mallards for your last? This is the last time you ever get to eat ducks because they're the ones the last ones you killed that day. Okay, well then if there if if we're gonna do that, I need to add a couple of woodies in there too because uh, because 
one of my favorite things on this planet is a smoked wood duck. Um, just pick him, pick him whole, leave the fat, big acorn, fat, woody, late season woody. And you stuff him with like a, uh, a crawfish dressing, crawfish cornbread dressing, stuff him with that, cover him in whatever rub you so desire. And you put him out there on your pellet smoker for at 225 for 30, 40 minutes. And then you crank that heat up to 350 or 400 just to get that good crisp on the skin. And you take him off and let him rest. Make sure you don't overcook him. And then we'll have some little teal poppers, you know, the, the standard wrap them in bacon, cream cheese. That way you got a little appetizer. And then with them mallards, we we just going to make one last big pot of gumbo. Oh, we're going to pick God. them. We're going we to boil that broth down. We're going to add the Koneka sausage. We're going to, you know, we're going to, let it get to the end and then cover it in okra and man we gonna eat good for about three or four days we ain't gonna finish this right there that 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 gumbo gets better with every day what's the secret of a good roux time, time. what is it time and time, time and patience time, time. and patience it's, get it's, you a it's, good cold drink and be able to sit right there at that stove for a long time doing this same motion. I don't know how many times room. I've heard. I don't care if it's Kansas, Nebraska, and I've heard it everywhere, including northern Alberta, northern Saskatchewan. I don't know how many times. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times, Justin Martin, of we love having Louisianans in camp. And you can be rest assured that when you show up at a duck camp, and I'm from Reno, Nevada, and I show up, I literally become best friends with a Cajun or a northern Louisiana in a matter of minutes standing over a roux having a cold drink and reminiscing either we hunted that morning or they're asking me where I'm from and I'm getting, and I, and I know a little bit about their culture, you know, getting to travel the way I do in, into Louisiana. And I've been to Mardi Gras, I've hunted Louisiana, love everything about it. I often tell people I'm the adopted son of the South. I often wish that I was born in the South. I think that the South is the most sought after place in the world. I've told people that whether it's Paris or Rome in Italy or Argentina, I've been all over those places and there's no place that I like going more than than south of the Mason-Dixon line. I love coming down out of St. Louis on the I-55 corridor and getting down into the cotton fields and getting down into, you know, into the Memphis area, the I-40 corridor going across, going across to, to Little Rock in Arkansas. And you can go south of there and you get down in Louisiana and Mississippi. There's just no finer place in the world. So when you get to meet these people in, in camp and stand there over a pot of gumbo and feel and understand what a roux is and see those speckle belly legs in there and you look at them like, y'all eat the legs? And they're like, uh-huh. Yeah, wait till you taste mm-hmm. these. And people just don't get that until they understand that way of life down there. And that's what I wanted to get out of this talk with you is that the Duck Dynasty days, they were awesome. They were, it was big time. It was good revenue. It was stardom. It was being famous. It was being recognized. But the one thing that, that nobody could take away from that is that that way of life is what was sought after about that show. People could say all they want. Man, I you know I love the I I love my life. I I get to be in the business meeting, or I I love this model, and everybody has to each their own. But when they would watch those episodes, it was the way of life <clears throat> that was intriguing, and that's why the show, in my opinion was so successful because of the intrigue of the way of life. And when I'm in duck camp or turkey camp with a Louisianan, it's the same way of life. And they don't have to be famous as Willie Robertson or Justin Martin. And I know that that doesn't matter to y'all one bit, but they still have those basic roots, those basic tendencies of a Louisianan to be 
this is a gumbo. This is a roux. We're going to have time. We're going to take our time. We're going to talk slow. We're going to enjoy each other. We're not going to get in a rush. This is our day right now. Just, just bear with me. And that way of life is so sought after by me and my, and, and I, I can speak on it because I'm down there a lot. I am in the South a lot and I don't, I really truly feel in my heart. It's the most sought after place to be. And on top of that, I'll end it by saying that y'all's accent and the way you talk with yonder and, and y'all and, um, what's the other one yonder. And what's the other one that I, uh, always ask about. There's another word that Louisianans use a lot. Y'all yonder. Oh. And uh, reckon, reckon, y'all reckon. Oh. And I think that the I think that, that the language is the most sought after language in the world. Now I understand Spanish and Italian, but I just love talking uh, like I'm from the South. And I'm not saying that I like to fake it or anything. I'm saying that the way y'all talk is intriguing. So. Uh, th- I think that that's what I got out of our friendship and getting to know. And when I posted that picture a couple of weeks ago, and people are like, "You know Phil Robertson and Jace Robertson," I'm like. Yeah, I've known him forever. Well, why don't you ever say that on your show? I was like, because that's not what it was about. It was, I would call the shop. I would call the shop and wear Phil out. And I would tell you, if, if Phil walked in there right now, I could tell you what he was going to dress and I could tell you what he would say to me. He'd be, Belden, y'all still killing him in the desert? And and I would, and, 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 and Phil was just Phil to me. Phil wasn't famous. He was just, he was, he was to me because of the DVDs, right? And the stories yeah. he would tell, he went for the bucks and I went for the ducks. You know, we all knew the quotes. And that, when I posted that picture and people are like, well, why didn't you ever tell anybody that you were friends with these guys? And I'm like, cause that's what I am with them. I'm just their friend and I'm not, I don't need anything from them and they don't need anything from me. I know for a fact that if you ask Phil or Justin or Jace or, or, or Willie, that they would have respect for what I accomplished in the industry. And that's what it means to me is that I did it in a way that Phil would be proud of me. He would tell you, good for you, Bell, and good what you did. Congratulations on what's going on. And that to me means way more than me going rah, rah, you know, I was part of it. I wasn't. I was just friends with some guys that loved to duck hunt, and they were nice enough to take this Western kid from Reno, Nevada, that wore them out relentlessly on how to blow a duck call. They invited me on a couple hunts, and I got to meet Red Dog and hunt with Red Dog. And I I got hundreds of pictures of holding widgeons with Red Dog and Benny and cooking pancakes with all of those guys. And that's what means something to me is the way of life, the kinship, the friendship, the around the table. When I would watch Duck Dynasty, I would sit there and go, I'm envious of that, man. I want that. And we can have it. We can have it if we just slow down and start to understand that there's way more than that negotiation. There's way more than that, 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 than that contract and that agreement being signed. They are important and livelihood is important and time freedom is important, but the way of life down there is what's important to me. And I'm just glad that I got to be a part of it. And I still get to be a part of it when I come visit honey break. And I want to invite you on a hunt to come to California this year. Cause you love specs and it's 10 specs a man out here. And you need to come out and do it because Ooh. I'll send you video after video of 200 of them in the decoys at a time. Uh, Speckle belly. We gonna, so we go, we going to bring your nephew to tote them out. He got a strong back. He young. We, yeah. Me and you ain't, me and you can't be toting 10 specs each no, week. We end up no. with a sciatic nerve issue. We say, yeah. oh, oh, Our leg will yeah. go to sleep. But anyway, man, oh. Justin, that's, that's what it means to me. That's what the whole, the whole relationship, friendship, my, my roots of being where I got to, what I got to do in the duck hunting industry started with a phone call to Phil Robertson. And I got a poster. I could walk this camera out. I got two posters in this, in my shop out here this way. And the first, it says, it, 
signed by Phil, and it's I'm a duckaholic, and it's Phil's face, and it's kind of faded back into the trees with the ducks coming in, and it says I'm a duckaholic, and they used to sell the fire out of them things, and they sent me one sign. So I have roots with the brand, and I'm proud of those roots, and I and I just think that it's unbelievable what y'all accomplished, and congratulations on all of it, man. Hey, thank you, brother. We're uh, you know, we are who we are. We ain't we ain't changing that. We're going to dance with the one that brought us, and I would say that's probably been the single hardest thing on this whole quarantine is that we are Louisiana, especially is a, is a culture that likes to get together. We like to, in the spring, we like to boil crawfish. We like to, you know, we like to smoke briskets. We like to, we like to have everybody there and kind of, you know, mess around, play cornhole, do whatever, but really just have fun with people. And when, you know, they're like, no more of that. We're like, Oh, that's tough, man. That, tough. That's that's been the toughest deal, I think, for most people. But look, it's all going to be good, and and we're going to get back to doing that just as soon as they let us. And uh, you know, and then it'll be probably even be even more special because it's been so long since we've all been together. So you know, it'll 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 be a good time and one I'm looking forward to for sure. Well, I appreciate, it, brother. This has been fun. We'll do it again. I. Uh... I look forward to seeing you at the next outing. We, whenever we see each other, it's always a good, good little talk. But um, I'll get you some uh, details on the spec hunt, some dates, and hopefully you can come out for it. I'll take care of everything once you hit the ground. And uh, bring your wife, bring Brittany. I would enjoy it. And then um, other than that, tell Phil and Kay and Jace and Phil, Willie and all their families hello from me. I appreciate the time. And uh, stay home, buddy. Stay home and oh. stay safe. We're going to do the best we can. I'm about to go get after them crappies one more well, time. I'm going to hit you up. Don't hang up on this because we're going to do a little barter after we get off the line right here. <laughs> uh, you know what a barter is, right? I, I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> I like barters. You know, like one time my buddy in, in Missouri told me that that, that uh, shotgun shells, they call them bullets where he hunts. They call them the bullets. He says bullets because I would, you know, I'd give him some bullets to hunt when we go filming, right? He'd say bullets are like cigarettes in prison to a Southern man. Yeah. <laughs> and and this, exactly is Southern, right. this is Southern Missouri, you know, down below the Mason-Dixie. He's like, Bullet, or bullets are like cigarettes in prison to a Southern man. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Justin Martin, Duck Commander, thank you so much for your time. Today's episode, again, was brought to you by our friends and family at Realtree. Check out the new timber pattern, the new edge pattern. Get in the turkey woods. Stay safe. Stay quarantined. Support the partners and sponsors that support our TV shows and our podcasts. Thank you all so much. This song you're going to hear right now is called My Foul Life by the band 2AM Logic. Talk to you guys soon.